You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1001 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening. And today's podcast is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store. Find one of our Locked On rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's podcast will focus on game two, what became a 101-92 loss for the Hawks in New York. A very, very winnable game for Atlanta that got away from them in the second half overall and also in the fourth quarter in the last five minutes. The Hawks scored 35 points in the second half of this game. Sort of a top-line thought. They were 11 of 40 from the floor after halftime. There's lots to get into detail-wise with that, from rotations to just missing a bunch of shots, but that was really what happened in the second half of this game. The Hawks just failed to score at an adequate rate, and that cost them all kinds of rotation questions. Um, also, they just had, they had plenty of chances. They just kind of failed to do that. And down the stretch, they scored one point in the fir- in the final five minutes of this game. And there you have it. So as always, we'll go through the game itself. I do want to plug episode 1000 real quickly from yesterday. I had the great Bob Rathman on the podcast with me, Television Voice of the Hawks. That was a fun conversation, so if you missed that, a lot of it still holds up. Uh, maybe not the last part against all the Knicks stuff, but uh, most of that, most of the podcast, honestly, was pretty broad and uh, should still hold up after all of this and after the game. So check out that if you would like to. And thank you, as always, for the support on the podcast. And we'll dive in now to the game itself. Um, same setup for the most part before the game. Um, same guys out. Nerland's Noel was questionable for the Knicks. Ended up playing in this spot. Um, and they actually ended up starting Alfred Payton again in the first half anyway. Uh, Derrick Rose started the second half, but generally it was the same players and similar rotations for both sides. And the good folks that bet online, our friends there, had the Hawks actually as two-and-a-half-point underdogs by tip-off. People were asking me why that would be. You know, the Hawks were underdogs in game one, too. And, you know, you can certainly debate that, but it's in New York. Uh, power rating-wise, in, in Las Vegas, you would certainly uh, not change too much based on one game itself. And the Knicks, of course, had more urgency in this game. So that's kind of why that happened. And, of course, and New York ended up covering the spread in this contest. Um, to the game itself, sort of the blow-by-blow of what transpired. Um, the Hawk, Coming out of the gate, the Knicks were definitely more aggressive against Trey Young. Uh, you can debate whether that worked or not, and they weren't always the entire game, but you, they wanted to set a tone, it felt like, out of the gate. They were definitely playing uh, more aggressively in pick-and-roll coverage. Um, Nolan's Noel kind of getting out to the point of attack. A little bit of trapping, not a ton, but uh, certainly more aggressive, more uh, sort of, I don't know, focused on not letting Trey get to his spots quite as comfortably. Offensively, the Hawks had sort of a slow start and then got it into gear pretty quickly. They actually had a 13-0 run early on with some threes by DeAndre Hunter. They actually attempted eight threes in the first five minutes of this game. They were definitely getting all the shots they wanted to in the first half. The one sort of downside early was that John Collins got, got two fouls. That was the theme of the entire game was that John was in foul trouble. Almost wire to wire. He had two fouls in the first two minutes. Had to sit. The Knicks just didn't score very well, very well at all in the first quarter. They actually didn't score for almost four full minutes at one point. The Hawks led by as many as 10 at 22-12 after a floater and two great passes by Trey Young, who again was fantastic in this game. The Hawks led by eight with 3.30 to go in the first quarter and then went to that fabled all-bench unit, which happened again in the second half. We'll come back to that later on. But they survived it in the first quarter. Um, they were minus one at that point in time um, with that group. Now, that's not good, obviously, but it's not um, totally disastrous. The Knicks did miss some, some some good looks. If you watch the tape back of that stretch, I would say New York uh, had the advantage in, certain, in terms of the gameplay against the five backups, but there was a nice dunk by Kevin Herter to close the quarter and put the Hawks up by seven 
at the end of one. The Knicks were 6 of 23 from the floor in the first quarter. That was their one disaster quarter, was uh, that first one. And the Hawks weren't great overall, either offensively. The Stars were pretty good. But four turnovers after only having six in the entire first game of the series. The second quarter, you know, <laughs> lots of interesting stuff here. The Hawks... Um, you know, were in control at times. It was their best offensive quarter. Was the second quarter actually scored 30 points in the second quarter. They kept the bench in uh, to start the second quarter with John Collins fresh at center. But even then, Collins got his third foul within a minute. So in the first, you know, most of the first half, he had played three minutes and had three fouls. Um, they went to Capella as a result of that because they did not want to go back to a Kongwu. And uh, Capella had ended up playing kind of a weird stress and they had to go to a weird lineup late in the first half as a result. Trey sat for six plus minutes. Once again in the first half, um, charitably, you could say that's the first half and the second half would be different, but it actually wasn't. We're, we'll come back to later on in the podcast. They actually had to play DeAndre Hunter at the four a little bit, which they're open to doing. But McMillan said after the game, he sort of confirmed he didn't say what the number was, but Hunter is still restricted on minutes on some level. Ended up playing 32. That's the most That's the most that he's played in you know a long, long time, multiple months. And he looked to be tired in the fourth quarter. Part of that could be playing the four. Part of that could just be the workload, playoff game, etc. But that's something to note. Um, Herter had a nice block. He actually played quite well in this game, I thought, despite the plus-minus number. I thought Herter was one of the bright spots in this game, aside from Young. Um, Hunter got, I thought, shafted pretty badly on a no-call when he almost clearly got undercut on a three. Uh, no-call. That's a call that just always gets made in the NBA, and it didn't happen there, which is kind of a weird one. Um, there was a 7 run by the Knicks that Trey ended up snapping with a pull-up three later, and then the Hawks ended up closing the half in very, very fine fashion. Three big shots in a row from Bogdanovich, who was not very good shooting in this game, but in that stretch he had eight points in 90 seconds when they were kind of stalling offensively, and then a 12-1 to overall run by the Hawks to go up by 15 late in the first half. Trey hit a pull-up deep three, and then Hunter got to the line, and then Trey hit a great reverse layup um, in transition. After a timeout, he had another jump shot, and then after the Knicks had a free throw, traded another three. So he actually had ten of he had ten of twelve points on that twelve on that twelve run run for the Hawks. They they led by thirteen at halftime. So in a game where you lead by thirteen at halftime, to lose by nine is not what you want, obviously. But the first half was a lot of fun. Trey had twenty on thirteen shooting possessions, very very efficient. By the time he had fourteen, Hunter had ten and led the team in minutes with nineteen in the first half. The Knicks just couldn't score before halftime. They shot twenty nine percent from the floor, and 16% from three. So basically, it was the same thing the Hawks did in the second half, the Knicks did in the first half, and uh, they were four of 29 away from the rim in the first half of this game. So the Knicks were kind of due for an uptick after that kind of slow start. But the Hawks had actually had eight block shots in the first half. They only uh, they had 12 in the game, which is a ton. Like 12 is more than double what they normally would average, but they had eight and a half time, and that's that's more than they averaged for a full game. So block shots were uh, sort of a weird outlier thing. The Hawks did very, very well in this game. Uh, not a surprise that, that Capella had five, but Herter had three. Uh, Bogdan had two. There was lots lots of gang uh, rear protection in this game for Atlanta. But, you know, going into the halftime up 13, he had to feel pretty good, but as we'll, as we'll get into in the second half, not quite as much. And uh, we'll touch on that in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is our friends at Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Locker Room is the perfect place to start and join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find lots on hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger and Duncan podcast has been on there, um, recording live and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact... 
Go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on from the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game. And obviously, you know, in the broad sense, it was 57-35 in favor of New York. And uh, I would not have bet on that happening. Uh, you know, if you told me the Knicks made a charge and, you know, made things interesting in this game, I would, not, I would not have been surprised. The first half was, you know, obviously favorable to Atlanta. But the fact that things flipped, and flipped the script as the way they did was uh, pretty surprising to me. Uh, and it happened kind of right away at times. Um the Knicks came out of the gate with an 11-4 run. They started Derrick Rose, which was the obvious decision. Uh, Knicks fans, I'm talking about this a little bit with Bob and even even last week with Jared Dubin, like, they've been begging for Alfred Payton to not start for a while. And it's a very, very obvious move, but Tibbs didn't make it till the second half of Game 2. But it happened, and that definitely helped them. Rose is uh, just a lot better. And was playing a lot of minutes anyway, but Payton was kind of killing them. Um, the Knicks scored the first five points, 11-4 run overall to get back within six. The Hawks, though, did stretch it back out um, to their credit. So there was a weird play when Reggie Bullock gave Hunter a shot in transition that got reviewed and ended up being a flagrant one. That was the right call. Also, in the first half, I failed to mention this earlier, but Bally Sports Southeast broadcast caught this, but um, Nerlens Noel seemingly tripped Trey Young on purpose, running back down from behind. Uh, that was a dirty play. It definitely seemed like it. I'm sure he would probably plead ignorance, but um, I wonder if that'll be reviewed on some level by the league. But that was uh, not what you want. That's you know, you know, I know I'm all for physicality in the playoff series. I, I get all that, but that was not just physicality. That's that's dirty, and you, you can't like you, you can't allow that to happen. The bullet play too was just kind of weird and silly. Uh, ended up being a flagrant, but we'll at least touch on that right now because I, I think we all missed it live. And credit to Bally for finding that. Bob and Neek were uh, sort of overlaying that coming out of the halftime break. But um, yeah, just a weird play, and hopefully uh, the league does something about that because that was uh, it seemed to be pretty dirty from Noel. Um, the Hawks did lead by 12 again, mid-third, which I, I almost forgot, honestly, until I was going back, back through my notes and watching the second half briefly again, was that the Hawks led by 12 again. Like I thought the lead just kind of disappeared a little bit, and that didn't really happen in my memory. Um, there was a three-shot foul by by Hunter to do that. Collins got his fourth foul, had, had to sit again. He's pretty much a non-factor in this game. Um, but then from there, the Knicks finally came alive, and it was because Julius Randle, at least in part, came alive. Randle had been pretty brutal for a guy who has a legitimate all-NBA case this year. He was so good for the Knicks. He had been terrible for a, pretty much the first game and a half, and then he finally came alive a little bit, got got, got his spots going, hit a three, got to the line, drove and found Rose for a three to cut the lead down to four. Um, that was an 8-0 run by the Knicks. Uh, and then a timeout from there, a 14-2 overall run by New York to tie the game at 72-72. And because of the way that the rotation was structured by McMillan, I'm going to rant a little bit about, about the rotation in the second half of this game. Um, they, After that run happened, when it was tied, that's when the full bench unit came in. And uh, my thoughts on the full bench unit coming in together are documented. If you're a new listener, you may not have heard that, but I'm not a fan of that. Um, even in the regular season, I don't, I don't love it, but in the playoffs, I think it's just you, you just can't play it, and the and Hawks did it twice in this game. Again, it didn't like totally annihilate them in this game when they played together, but it was still a negative. They were minus one again. Um, they managed to hold down the line because of Lou Williams being Lou Williams, being very smart, slowing the game down. He got to the free throw line. There were some good defensive moments from Kevin Herter. There was one, a nice rotation play, etc. So they didn't, they didn't get killed there, but the Hawks were 5 of 18 from the floor in the third, 1 of 7 from 3, and the Knicks hit 7 threes in the quarter to take the lead. So that was the first bit of why the Hawks um, lost the lead and ended up losing the game. Now, in the fourth quarter, they stay with the bench to open up the fourth, but with Collins at center, 
and they the lead got stretched to six. It was a 23-5 to overall run dating back to the end of the third quarter for New York from the Hawks being up 12 to down six. Collins got his fifth foul and had to come out again. Man, it was a lost a lost game for John. Um, finally, Gallinari made a jump shot. He actually was one of eight before that, made a three to stop the bleeding, and they stayed with the bench, though, for another time. And that's where uh, I saw, the, uh, at least Hawks fans, and I agree with this and said, said as much. I was kind of first guessing on this one. I couldn't believe that when the Hawks finally got it down to three, um, they stayed with the bench again. Uh, I just did not understand that at all. Um, with about 10 minutes to go, I just I thought for sure when Gallo hit that three and had a little bit of juice, they were going to go back to Trey, at least if not for if not Trey and Bogdanovich. They didn't do that. Um, that was a questionable decision. And then the Knicks won on a 7-0 run immediately in about 90 seconds to go back up by 10. So the game wasn't over, but that felt like a, a pivot point where the Hawks were chipping away, um, hanging around with the bench, and they just kind of let it go away, go away from them a little bit and like sort of let go of the rope for a second. With 8.34 to go, they brought the Stars back in. You know, and I guess, you know, again, to their credit, they basically erased the deficit almost right away. So the Hawks down 10. It was a 9-0 run pretty fast. First, a giant shot by Kevin Herter, uh, who was the only bench guy on the floor at that point. It was the four starters plus Herter in place of Hunter at the beginning of this run. Herter hit about a 30-footer. That was a bomb. And that was just started to stop the bleeding again. And then it was a 9-0 run overall to get back within one. Capella had his first bucket of the night to cap that. The Knicks didn't score for about two and a half minutes. And then the Hawks tied the game with 5.06 left. Trey Young hits Clay Capella for a dunk, and it's a new game with five minutes to go. And all of the bench stuff is out the window. Um, yes, they let the, the week get away, they let the game get away a little bit, being down by 10, but they erased that quickly, and now you have the starters on the floor with five minutes to go, and all is right with the world. But from that point forward, it was 10-1 to 1 in favor of New York. The Hawks did not have a field goal in the final 5.06 of this game. So we'll go through it quickly here. Um, Rose scores on a tough floater, and they trade empty possessions from there. Capella, Capella misses a pretty easy uh, tip-in that he normally makes with about four minutes to go. And then Bullock gets a three to go up by five with 3.26 left. You're still fine. It's a five-point game. You're losing, but there's plenty of time. Call a timeout from there. But Donovich misses a pretty decent look off a curl on the right wing that he often makes, not always, but often. Randall misses. Then the, the, the Knicks actually totally broke down and lost DeAndre Hunter for an open three, but he missed it on the right wing. Then the Knicks got a, another, another empty trip, so the, the lead's still five, and the Hawks are in great shape. Trey drives, creates another great look for Hunter, and a nice pass to the corner. He misses again. Um, and then the Knicks get a dunk to 98-91. Then the next possession, the Hawks have two more threes, one by Trey, one by, one, one by Bogdanovich. Not like incredible looks, but makeable for them. They both miss, and then Randall seals the game basically with a floater to go up by nine with 113 to go. So that little stretch where the Hawks just could not make a shot. Hunter misses two threes, Bogdanovich misses one, Trey misses one, and that's kind of your game, um, honestly. Because the Knicks, you know, honestly, the Knicks weren't fantastic offensively in that run. They only scored 10 points in the final five minutes. Like, that, that's not like crazy hot offense from the Knicks. The Hawks just scored one point. And then from there, they had like a faint bit of hope down nine. It's not completely over. But uh, sort of fittingly, after the timeout, they had a great ATO play, actually, by McMillan. Hunter gets free near the rim, but misses the reverse layup that would cut it to seven, and then that's basically it. So they missed their final eight shots. The Hawks, you know, it's kind of fitting, given how bad their numbers were in the entire second half, but 0 of 8 in the, fi- in the final five minutes. The only uh, points were that free throw by Hunter. He actually missed the second one as well. So, you know, it's uh, the numbers speak for themselves. We'll get into them now, I guess. what Overall, some bad, badly timed missed shots. 
and then obviously the for, the rotation frustration that we'll touch on again in a second. So the Hawks were 11 of 40 from the floor in the second half, three of 19 from three in the second half. Trey was four of eight. So the rest of the team was seven of 32. That is hideous. Bogdanovich, who I'm not going to crap on him. He's been so good for like two and a half months, but he was 0 of 7 from 3 in the second half. And it's just kind of weird that he misses because he's been so hot for so long. I guess he was quote unquote due for a bad night like this, but it was a, it was a poorly timed one. He had a bunch of shots that he's been making and he didn't make those. But the Hawks were 6 of 22 from the floor in the second half, 2 of 12 from 3 overall. Um, sorry, that was in the fourth quarter. 2 of 12, two of 12 from, the, from, the, from 3 in the fourth quarter alone. So, you know, the numbers are what they are. 35 points after halftime. It's just not going to get it done. Uh, we'll, we'll zoom out a little bit here to the uh, sort of overall numbers and things. Um, the Hawks lost the glass again. And, you know, there's no shame in losing the glass the way they did to a Knicks team that's physical. But the Hawks um, have relied on being pretty good rebounding, especially offensively this season with Capella especially. And they grabbed 13% of their offensive rebound chances. That's very, very bad for this Hawks team. Uh, Capella only had one offensive rebound. That is not what he normally does. So that's uh, an area to focus on for Game 3 and beyond is that Capella's got to make an impact on the offensive glass, and he, and he just didn't do that in this game. And then defensive rebounding, the Hawks didn't get killed, but about a 27% mark for the Knicks, which is like pretty much their their average, so nothing crazy there. But uh, no second chances for the Hawks to sort of buoy their offense overall. Um, I'll start more positive. Defensively, the Hawks did a pretty decent job. You know, if I just told you that the Hawks were going to do what they did defensively in this game, they would have been a pretty big favorite in my mind to win this game. And that's something I've said a lot in this um, before the series, during the series, that the Hawks' defense is not as good as their offense, but this is a better matchup for their defense than it is for their offense. And that proved to be the case again in this game. You know, the Knicks scored about 1.02 points per possession, which is below average. That's a very, very good figure for Atlanta's defense. The second half was not quite as good, and the Knicks made some shots. But still, they held them to 39% from two in the game. That's excellent. Um, you know, defensive rebounding was not uh, great, but again, not terrible. Only 15 assists from the Knicks. So, you know, aside from Derrick Rose getting loose with 26 points, and even then, Rose needed 21 shots. Like, no one individually had a great offensive game. In game one, you had Alec Burks go crazy for the Knicks. The only guy you could point to, maybe maybe be Reggie Bullock, that had a good game. Like, Bullock had 15 points on nine shooting possessions. That's uh, certainly impactful. He was the one starter that was good in terms of plus-minus stuff, other than Randall, I guess, for the Knicks. But Rose had a lot of points, but he had, took he took a lot of shots. Um, Burks was cool in this game. Like, the Hawks did a good job defensively. Uh, it's hard to sort of focus on that, I understand, and I'm not saying that's the biggest takeaway, but the Hawks did a pretty good job defensively in this game. Now, offensively. Uh, first half, Totally fine. Maybe not, like, incredible, but 57 points is, uh, you know, pretty strong. That's a top-five defense in the Knicks. In the second half, the uh, things just kind of fell apart. So the numbers are pretty ugly. The Hawks had about a 93 offensive rating. That's very bad. 37% from the floor, ugly, obviously. Um, 27% from three, 12 of 44 for the game. And, you know... (laughs) I'm not going to tell you the Hawks should have made 20 out of 34, but they had some pretty good looks that missed. You know, Bogdanovich was a guy who was an outlier, but Gallinari was cold in this game as well. Collins was over two. Tony Snow misses his, his only shot. Just a, a cold shooting night from basically everyone but Trey. Hunter was three of eight, but even then, Hunter, his I think he missed his last three or four, and he was good in the first half, first three quarters, but it was definitely not his best, best self in the fourth. So, you know, overall, a frustrating night to be sure, for Atlanta. But there are things, if you want to spin this forward to a more positive way, 
the Hawks did not play great again and still were in a position with five minutes to go in a tie game, even with some suboptimal rotation stuff to uh, steal this one. They just didn't, they were able to time their shot making and pull this one off. So we'll leave it there for now. Before we get to the individual stuff and uh, a look ahead to the rest of the series at the end of the podcast, we're from our sponsor on today's show. And the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? And when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone in my favorite flavor right now, anyway. I have many favorites, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now where you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry mint brownie or whatever you would like, and if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that... All the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. The promo code, one more time, is LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll close the show up with some individual breakdowns, and there's a lot, lots of highs and lows to get to in this game. So a 10-man rotation again for Atlanta. There's nothing inherently crazy about playing 10 guys. I'll say that right now. Uh, it's just the way that they're doing it that I don't love, and I'm not trying to kill McMillan. You know, I think he, I've lauded him quite a bit this season. He's done a great job since taking over. He is a big reason why the Hawks did what they did. But one of the questions with Nate is his playoff record, and part of it is because he's not a big, uh, you know, aggressive playoff coach. He definitely kind of kind of rides rotations um, that he normally uses. And even after this game, um, I don't have the audio right now as I record this, but. McMillan was basically asked about his rotations, and he kind of said he was fine with with rotations, that this is, they're playing their, their normal rotations and sticking to that. And he's not wrong. They play their normal rotations, but that's kind of the problem, is that this is not a spot where you play your normal rotation. You're in, you're in a playoff series. Um, and yes, starters played like decent amount of minutes. You know, Trey, Bogdanovich, and Capella all played 35, 36 minutes. But that's not a ton in a playoff series, especially for, you know, you could certainly with Capella, you could certainly deal with that. He's not a guy who you want to play 45 minutes. Capella is a center and that's it's just a different thing. But with Young, who is young and very durable, but Donovich, who led the team in minutes in the second half of the season, those guys can play more. I, I'm very confident on that. Um, they didn't in this game. And uh, McMillan, at least in his postgame comments, you know, it's postgame, still tempers, temperature running high on all that. Um, he seemed to be 
indicating that he's not going to change that, at least publicly, like he wasn't upset with the rotations. Uh, we'll see what happens in Game 3, but that was a question mark to be sure. Anyway, um, 10 minute rotation. Akong will play the least. That's the right decision. He's definitely the 10th of 10. Six minutes. Um, had a point and two rebounds in his six minutes. Minus two. I thought he was fine defensively. Offensively didn't give them much at all. Missed, uh, actually got to the free throw line for one of two. Um, he didn't kill them whatsoever. I thought he was okay. But just, you know, he's only out there when Capella's not. And even then, I probably would go with Collins. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not totally opposed to playing Kongwu. But if Collins is not in foul trouble like he was in this game... I probably go to 48 minutes of Capella, Capella or Collins, etc. That's just my idea. And if you get foul trouble, you can go to you can go to a Kongwu. But the plan right now is that he's been playing at least in the first half, regardless. So there you go on that. Um, Tony Snell was a non-factor. 13 minutes, uh, did not score. 0 of 2 from the floor, 0 of 1 from three. Took one more floater. Uh, had two rebounds and a block shot to go along with the turnover. He was minus 14. Um, I you know it's interesting to me. And that's, this is a point that I know people have made. This is not an original thought by me. I know uh, Andrew, for, for the podcast, Andrew Kelly's made this point as well, and others. But uh, Tony Snell has had a great season. He's not a great fit with Lou Williams and that second unit in particular. Um, he's a much better fit with the starters, ironically. Um, when he was playing his best basketball this year is because he was playing with Trey and just kind of being that spot-up guy and just catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. The second unit, you know, Lou is much more of a scorer, and there's not a whole lot for Tony to do offensively, even in the in the brightest of terms. Um, defensively, he's fine, but not his uh, best situation, and that kind of came to the forefront in this game. He just doesn't ha- have a lot to do if he's not getting the ball set up for him as a spot-up shooter. Uh, Lou Williams, 13 minutes, did not, have his, uh, did not have his fastball. I thought he was actually pretty good in terms of slowing the game down and not getting them killed on the second unit, but uh, still, uh, the second half unit kind of got away from him. First half was much better. Five points on six shots, got to the line for three, um, three of three from the free throw line, had two steals and an assist. Um, individually, it wasn't like awful, but uh, you know it's hard for him to be one of six. Uh, he's It's kind of tough to play him in that in that spot. Um, we'll, we'll save Herter for last. Uh, Gallinari, 30 minutes off the bench, six points, five rebounds, four assists, and a block shot, and minus two. Gal was two of nine from three, and uh, he was one of eight, so he, may, he actually made his last three-point attempt early in the fourth. Um, you know, this is not breaking news or great analysis, but Gallinari shooting that poorly uh, is not helping you very much. Uh, defensively, he's actually been, I think, better than I thought he'd be in the series, but um, he just has had a rough one shooting the ball, and that's tough for a guy who really needs to have a jump shot and uh, be an offensive weapon when he's playing. And then Kevin Herter, um, ironically, if you didn't, if you watch this game closely, I think you would recognize, and I'm going to say this now, I think, I think Kevin Herter was like, good in this game like capital g good and ironically he was the worst plus minus he was minus four, he was minus 19 because he was on the bench sorry he was, he was on the court for the uh the big run by new york in the second half with the bench units i thought kevin played quite well uh 26 minutes 10 points five rebounds two assists a steal three blocks very active uh one turnover four away from the floor one of three from three including that that long bomb and then one two from the free throw line i'm not gonna say he was he wasn't like a superstar game changer but i think he was actually one of the better supporting pieces in this game, so that's a, that's a small bright spot off the bench. Um, to the starters, we'll go to John Collins, who went scoreless for the first time in his career in this game. 15 minutes, and that's because he had foul trouble the entire game. He had he had two fouls in the first two minutes, three fouls for three minutes, got his fourth foul early in the, in, early in the third quarter, then his fifth foul early in the fourth quarter. So just no time to get going. Um, you know, he's not having he's not a huge role offensively. 
He did not attempt a two-point shot in this game either. Obviously, that's a, a little bit of small sample size theater with how much he played or didn't play. But at the same time, they're just not using him a ton. Um, it's also sort of to the same point as Snell before. I wouldn't mind if they staggered a little bit more, as, sort of as an overall rule, which we'll get into more in a second. Um, if they did that, maybe letting Collins play with the bench a little bit more to have him more featured would be not the worst idea in the world offensively because, you know, even with foul trouble, Collins cannot be taking two shots in 15 minutes. That's just not enough. Um, two points, sorry, no points, two rebounds and a steal for John. Just a night to forget overall. He was not good when he played. The fouls were his fault. There was no, like, you know, crazy officiating conspiracy against Collins. He just didn't play well, and it really hurt them because he, they need his uh, his defensive rim, uh, sort of second side rim protection as well as his energy and rebounding, all that stuff. He was the, you know, offensive rebounding, same thing. He didn't have any offensive rebounds in this game. I think Collins uh, will have better nights, but he was not very good in this game. Uh, Click Capella, four points. 12 rebounds. Did have five blocks to lead the way for Atlanta to their 12 overall as a team, but offensively, not his best. Uh, two of five from the floor, no free throw attempts. Um, the Knicks are definitely trying to take him away, as we saw in this again in this game. He didn't score until the fourth quarter, where they got a little bit loose um, on a couple of lobs, uh, but offensive rebounding-wise, he's got to make an impact there. If he's not going to have a chance to finish a ton because of the way the Knicks are playing Trey and the way they're playing him in the pick and roll, the way that Click can make an impact offensively is just you know rolling hard to the rim and also offensive rebounding. He just cannot have one, one offensive rebound. And then defensively, I thought he was fine. Like He, he wasn't uh, bad. He was still their best defender on the back line. He made some plays, five blocks piece for itself, but they just need a little bit more from him. Like, he wasn't, again, I'm not saying he was bad. They just need a little bit more from Capella on both ends, but especially offensively. Um... DeAndre Hunter is sort of a tale of three quarters versus one. He was brutal in the fourth. Um, no question about it. He had a bunch of open shots in the last five minutes. Uh, three shots where, you know, you can't expect him to make everything, but a couple of shots where he just, he's got to make that. He's he had sort of a hitch at one point as well. Like he might have been tired. You know, this is, again, the most minutes that he's played in a long, long time. So it would not be a surprise to me if he was gassed. But, um, you know, he was very good in the first three quarters. Like he was one of the, one of the bigger stories positively before the fourth quarter. Um, the way that he's defending, he brings them that element that they, they don't have otherwise. He's the only guy on the team that does what he does on both ends of the floor. So it's good to have him back. I made I made a note uh, on Twitter halfway through the game that you know him leading the team in minutes in the first half is huge. Like 11 free throw attempts, he was aggressive, getting to the rim, playing defense. Um, if that guy can carry over for a little bit more time or just like maybe space him out a little bit more and not have him be gassed, that'd be huge. But um, he was good in the first three quarters, bad in the fourth. And then Young and Bogdanovich went in there. Bogdanovich, 18 points. Uh, in 35 minutes, which is totally fine, but on 21 shots, so not efficient. Six of eight from the from two actually, but two of 13 from three. Just a night for, a night to forget there. Obviously, Bogey has been shooting 49 percent from three almost since like you know March one. It's been crazy how hot he's been. But two of 13 here, some hard regression. Three assists, six six, six rebounds, um, two blocks. I thought he played fine, honestly. He just didn't make threes. That's just kind of what happens sometimes. But um, if anything, he probably should have played more. And then Trey. Well, in there, uh, 30 points, seven, 7 assists, 5 turnovers for Trey, plus 5, 11-20 from the floor, 4 of 7 from 3, 4-4 four, four from the free throw line. He was quite good again. The Knicks still have no answers. They played him a little bit more aggressively. It worked a little bit more. He wasn't quite as dominant offensively as he was in Game 1, but he still did He still did a lot of things well offensively. He was still the linchpin of the, of the positive offense, and uh, you can't argue too much with that. Um, final thing on the rotation thoughts. You know, again, I've said this before. Uh, the full bench unit is my number one gripe. Uh, I don't think that that should ever happen, and it happened again twice in this game. Uh, and then beyond that, I just am, I'm kind of baffled by both the way that McMillan discussed it after the game, and also just the fact that Trey and McDonavich played 35 minutes. 
in this game. Capella 36 is totally fine. 132, obviously he's um, you know he's on a limit and all that. But it, the the second half rotation, those guys sitting for as long as they did, and particularly that 90 second stretch from the 10 minute mark to the 8:30 mark when it was a 7-0 run by the Knicks, and I could not believe in the moment they weren't out there. Um, I just don't understand. Uh, we'll see if they make an adjustment. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to put this on Nate. Uh, there were certainly chances for the Hawks to win this game, even with all of that mess that happened midway through, through the fourth quarter. They had a chance to win in the final five message and just didn't execute. But um, the notion that Trey and Bogdanovich can't play more than that is, uh, I think, is pretty silly. Derrick Rose. I know Tibbs is kind of an outlier, but at the same time, in the playoffs, guys playing 38 to 40 minutes is not an outlier at all. I'm not saying you got to play Trey 46 minutes. That's not going to happen on a regular basis, and I totally get that. It's game two. If it was game seven, Trey might play 45 minutes for me. Um, but for now, game two, I'm not saying he has to play 45 minutes. I'm not. But 35 is on the very, very low side. Like, for example, Mike Budenholzer, friend of the podcast, friend, former Hawks coach, uh, got pretty much crucified lot, you know, in the past in the playoffs for not, for not playing guys enough minutes, and this is kind of the range that he was playing guys. And... Uh, you know, I know it's game two, but they could have went for the kill in this game and didn't really do that. So we will see. It's a question mark. I don't love it. It's uh, certainly something that I am um, critical of at this moment in time, uh, at least in the second half, the way that was handled. If, if, it's, if it's the first half and you want to be a little bit easy on your guys and have those guys sit for five, six minutes, get them a long breather in the second quarter, I totally get that. In the, in the second half, uh, Trey can't be playing as little as he did, at least individually, because it's just night and day when he's on the floor versus when he's not on the floor. Okay, um, that's it for this game. Obviously, the sky's not falling for Atlanta. They still got the split in New York. And, as I said a number of times before we, before the series started, all they needed to do was get one of these two in the first in the first two games. Uh, would they have been a commanding favorite had they won tonight? Absolutely. Um, are they still the favorite in the series? I would say yes. Um, I think they'll, they'll still be the betting favorite, if I were to guess, in, in Vegas. It's not been updated just yet. But given the fact that the Hawks now have, you know, it's 1-1 and the Hawks have three home games left. They have to be favored in my mind. I think the Hawks are the better team as well. Uh, is it night and day? Maybe not, but the Hawks are better in my in my mind, and now they have these two games at home. Now, the opposite is true, as if the Knicks go, if they come into Atlanta and get a split, then things pivot back to New York, because then they, have, then they have two of the last three at home, including Game 7, and that's obviously a raucous building. I expect the Hawks fans to bring it, and it be loud in Atlanta on Friday night and Sunday afternoon. I'll be in the building for those games, and we'll see how that all transpires, but I still say Vantage Hawks, and uh, big picture, today is frustrating, obviously, if you're a Hawks fan. I saw lots of, uh, I would say, <laughs> negativity after the game, and I totally understand that. But if you take a step back, and this is kind of what my responsibility is to be more even-handed, a 1-1 split on the road is a good result for the Hawks. Should should they have been 2-0? Probably, if they played a little bit better and handled things a little bit differently in this game. But 1-1 one one on the road totally fine. Come home, game three, take care of your business at home, and you'll be up 3-1 if you can go come home and win these two home games. So, Friday night is an early tip, by the way. It's a 7 o'clock tip-off on Friday night for game three, and then a 1 o'clock matinee on Sunday. So, I believe Sunday is ABC, which is interesting. That would be a true national game for the Hawks, uh, and also Friday night. So, plenty to get to 
on those games. Uh, my plan, hopefully, is to have another podcast between now and Friday, and then I will not have one in between Game 3 and Game 4, given the quick turnaround there, but I'll have a game recap, as always, after the game on Friday night, and then after the game on Sunday evening. So uh, stay tuned for all of that. Please subscribe to the podcast. Check out episode 1000 one more time with Bob Rathman. Yesterday was a lot of fun to talk to Bob. He's the best in the business. And uh, yeah, please subscribe, follow the podcast, rate, review, tell your friends, tell your family, all that fun stuff. Please share this if you have a Hawks fan in your life that does not listen to the podcast already. I appreciate it if you would give, put it in front of them. If they hate it, that's okay. At least give it, have, them give it, have them give it one chance. It's the playoffs. We'll all have some fun together. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, and we'll see you next time.